there's going to be a lot more dynamic business models to come out of this, but I wouldn't say that anyone's enjoyed the process, that's for sure. I'm Danny Vallant, and this is Dirty Linen, the podcast that takes the issues the hospitality industry finds hard to air in public and shakes them all about. This week on Dirty Linen, we're talking about hospitality business models. What works, what doesn't, what's harder than it used to be, and how can COVID be an opportunity to do things differently for the better? Rebecca Yazbek is the owner of Nomad, a fire-focused Sydney restaurant that caught fire itself last year. Beck has an interesting take on the hospitality industry, coming into it sideways, driven by passion and ideas. She's a creative thinker, a supply chain obsessive, and she loves using technology to work smarter, not harder. Rebecca, hello. I hear you have just had something very good to eat. Oh, I have been running rampant all morning, so very good falafel saved, saved my stomach and brain for the rest of the day. What is so good about a falafel? What makes a good falafel? Or a very good falafel indeed? I it's gotta it's gotta be the moisture. So there's gotta be the flavour from like whether it's celery or the coriander root or you've got to be able to taste if it's just dry and no, no. Mm -mm. <laughs> so yeah, it's got it's gotta have it's gotta have the spices and the, the herbs and everything through it, I think. Definitely. I remember talking to Al Shani, who's the owner of Miznon, um, and he talked about the pitta and how when you take when you when you take when you put sort of put your face towards a pitta, it should be like you're falling into it and all the things that are in it, like falling, like tumbling downstairs, just falling into all that flavor. Yeah, it's like a it's like cloud. Oh, yeah. No, it it, it was actually life giving today. It was just what I needed. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I'm glad I've caught you on the right side of the falafel so that you're all, yes, it's so you're going to have so much to, to say. And, uh, and you know, when I was thinking about this week of chats on Dirty Linen and thinking about business models and restaurants, you were you know, one of the first people that I thought I'd like to talk to because I think you've got such an interesting perspective on restaurants and, yeah, just do interesting things with them. So, but before we get into all that, you have had a very interesting nine months or so, haven't you? Do you want to start by putting us in the picture and just telling us telling us what's happened? Yeah, sure thing. Um, my uh, business partner and I, who's also my husband, um, we we've spent um, a little time now with our team getting them ready so we could move to Melbourne and open another restaurant down here and we did that and um, moved and got ready and then we had a phone call from our staff that the restaurant was on fire and we had to hightail it back up. My husband um, Al uh, was on a plane within the hour and I've got two small children so it took me a few days to wrangle and um, yeah we were we were up, up I was up by the weekend and We've been dealing with that. So um, we then opened a Nomad Up the Road, uh, which was wonderful and so grateful for our clientele to follow us up there and our staff and we were able to keep everyone and from signing the lease to opening the doors was about a three-week process. So that was the craziest three weeks of my life in Airbnbs and moving around and 
two children and oh um (laughs) challenging (laughs) and we thought we were going to be there until we were reopening down the road and um obviously pandemic hit um the world and Australia and our industry and we were forced forced to close in March like everyone else so and you yeah, and you closed closed didn't you like you didn't keep going oh we would we would have loved to we tried we did a few d- days of takeaway right before they did the forced um the complete shutdown um and we thought that was something we could ramp up but with um um it, essentially, it was a, um, financial reasons, business reasons. The with a thousand square meters of rent being owed within on two sites in Surrey Hills, it wasn't viable for us to potentially make some income with um, with a takeaway option. Um, so I am so staying open. Yeah, would have staying open would have cost money. It, yeah, it would, and at the time as well, there was I was worried about the staff getting sick and what that meant, and obviously from a business perspective, your your relate your reputation and everything. You know, you don't want something like um, having an outbreak in your restaurant or among your staff being part of your record. Um, and so I was very conscious of at the time. You know, the numbers were all going up, not not down where we want them to go. So, um, yeah, we did make we did have to make the decision to close and focus solely on getting Nomad um, at its home back up and running and rebuilt as soon as possible. And so for people who haven't been to Nomad, just put us in the picture, like uh, what, what, what's it like there? What was it like there? Oh, um, I'm going to get all nostalgic on you. Um, It's a beautiful big warehouse um, space at the bottom of Surrey Hills. So it's one of the original buildings um, in Surrey Hills. That's why I fell in love with it. Um, I've got a background in design and architecture and I wanted that space. come hell or high water so we it was it was a tough one to get open in the first place because there was they weren't sure whether there was enough power and getting things to the roof and dealing in a building that's um from the early 1900s was was difficult um and it's got these beautiful solid timber columns throughout the space that really sort of give it some structure. And um, but apart from that, from a restaurant perspective, sorry, um, it's got this beautiful big open kitchen, um, beautiful big bar. We've got a wood-fired oven, so the food coming out just smells, you know, delectable from the second you open the door, you know, you're hit with this smell of wood-fired um, food, bread, pork, you know halloumi um and um yeah just just 200 seats so it's a big party really you know it always it always felt great i never ever walked in um and didn't enjoy that it just felt right i think it felt like you were somewhere it felt like you were somewhere and there was a lot of stuff happening around you and and you were about to become part of it i think that's what the feeling was like for yeah, me. I think it, it got. I think it gets you excited. I think when you see walk in and people are enjoying themselves, and you can see it, and you can see the buzz of the kitchen, and sh- you know cocktail shaking happening, and you know wines being run around a room, and you know tough tough room to for for the staff to work, but um very satisfying to have a wonderful service with 
happy customers. Mm. And so it's interesting that at, at the beginning you talked all about the the design, the you know the, the, the physical appearance and space because your background is uh, is not restaurants, is it? No, no. Um, I've I've um, when you asked me to do this podcast, actually, I was like, wow, it has been nine years. I have been in this industry, so um, it still feels like. You know, I'm I'm a pup, um, and in my first first foray, I guess um, it's I I was I did a degree in interior architecture, and then worked in that field for a little while. Um, went into lighting, and then I met my now husband, who um, was a part owner in, in some restaurants, and I started telling him how to do his job, um, which is not good ever <laughs> and no, for well, a new relationship. Well, right, I mean, yeah, but, you know, if you had all the good ideas, I mean, what can we do? It's like you're only trying to help, right? I did. I was just being very, very vocal with my help. Um, so he's like, okay, enough. We're like, <laughs> you need to figure out what this, what, what you're doing. I was 23 at the time. So, and I just, I, I, we had this idea for a wine bar and I wanted what we would, we'd go to the country and have these amazing experiences and meet all these winemakers and producers and, you know, the local chestnut farm and and I just like why where we need this, like we need what these guys bring. I wanna bring that to a restaurant experience. So what started as a very small wine bar, um, with a focus on Australian produce and Australian wine, um, turned into a very large restaurant. Do you think there are things, because you came into the industry sideways, like do you think there were things that you saw about restaurants or that you didn't see about restaurants that, that made it either, you know, easy for you or, or made it hard or that you, you, you saw things that could be done in, in a different way and that, that helped the restaurant to find success? I think, um, well, I had my my partner Al as I guess he'll, he'll he'll love this, but as a bit of a mentor from a restaurant perspective. Um, but then I realised that he had partners in his previous um, endeavours, and I could bring a different perspective from where I came from. And I think coming into it so naive um, is a real strength because I was really open to listening and learning um, and I had, you know, my own funds invested. So I, it, it was a real sink or swim scenario for me personally and I was so invested in, in it working that I kind of didn't think about it not working. So when I was hiring people and interviewing them, the process was pretty exhaustive because um, I wanted to make sure that we were building or trying to build something together. I didn't get it all right. You know, no one ever does. Um, but I think looking back, it's really just making sure you've got the right people around you. You know, I learnt more from my restaurant manager and you know, sommelier and those sort of people and I was just really open to it at the time. I didn't have a family or anything. So it was it was just everything for me at the beginning. Um, yeah, I wasn't set in any way. 
And when you were looking for those key staff, do you think, you know, were there questions that you asked them that you think wouldn't get asked in normal hospitality interviews or was there, were there things that you were looking for that were sort of not so much industry specific but, but personal qualities or whatever it was that, that perhaps um, weren't always part of, of, a, of a typical interview for a restaurant manager or a chef? Yeah, I don't think I don't think um, I would be asking the same questions now. I'm sort of you know a little <laughs> a little bit more eyes open, um, but at the at the time I was really interested in making sure these were people that I wanted to spend eighty hours a week with, um, and that we had the same vision. When you're starting uh, any business or concept or restaurant or anything that you're so invested in, selling that idea to people when you're literally sitting in a warehouse space is not an easy thing to, you know, people would walk in and be like, you're going to turn this into a restaurant. I'm like, yeah, huh? And it was that like optimism that really I think between Al and I that got it over the line with, you know, getting invested, like getting the bank to say yes to loaning us money, you know, things like that that you I'd never been through before or gone through and then getting an insurer to insure the place and, you know, it's, it is, I guess it was the naivety at the time because if you knew everything that went into it, you, you wouldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess now you're going to open two new restaurants really, aren't you? The new Nomad in Sydney and, and the one in Melbourne. Um so what will you do differently and, and, you know, having sort of, I suppose, to some degree observed the pandemic and the way that restaurants have, have adapted and, and, the, and the reopening now, like what are you noticing? Like what, what, what are the things that you're, that you're seeing and, and how are you going to apply them? Uh, it's, 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 I'm choosing to look at this as an, um, you know, exciting time for the industry to recalibrate and reboot. Um, not going to lie, it's the hardest, hardest period I've ever gone through in my life and I'm sure it is for um, most people, especially in our industry. Um, but I think it's, it's relationships to me is the key. Um, it always has been, you know, my suppliers being paid on time, my staff, um, landlords' relationships with every stakeholder in your business um, and I think that's going to become key but it's also widening up I think to the clientele you know we've had such a huge outpouring of love for what we do since we had the fire and then reopening and you know having wait lists and people just contacting us about when we're reopening now with the with the pandemic um and i think it's just bringing them further into the fold i guess um transparent with the fact that we do you more transparent with the fact that we use local produce and that costs because we're supporting farmers and we're supporting a supply chain that i'm really protective over i don't want it to become these um big monoliths of farms that we rely on, like the two major supermarket chains and just um, getting people more invested in their food and where it comes from and the cost associated with it. So if that means that people are going out less or they're buying from, you know, we're, we're looking at 
um, we're starting a deli section um, out of the restaurant because that's what we've always done, our own cheese and charcuterie and breads. And so see, see if people are more invested in what we do by having that at home instead of sort of committing to a night out at a rest at a Sydney restaurant it's it's expensive for people you know um so I think it's there's going to be a lot more dynamic business models to come out of this but I wouldn't say that anyone's enjoyed the process that's for sure sure so are you saying that you've you've seen so much I guess attachment to what you've created that you feel like you can explain to your customers that things need to cost more or things need to cost a certain amount and this is why? I think you've got to stand behind your pricing structure and because like if people trust your um, what you do and your brand and what you've created, um, I think that they're a lot more likely to, you know, like um, there's an example with um, Maggie Beer um, and the brand that she created and and the products that she created within that, such as the Vajuice. No one had ever heard of Vajuice before yet all of a sudden it's in everyone's pantry. You know, that's that comes from trusting that person and, and the expertise that they bring to it. So I think that we can do it. Um, we've just got to be have more awareness around the food chains and more conscious of where we spend our money and that our money is and how we spend it is is an act that we're in charge of. Do you think that having come from design that that you have a, a sort of confidence about standing behind quality and that something is a price for a reason? If you like, yes, there's a lot of chairs, but this chair is, you know, X thousand dollars because of this and that's just what it is? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, I think when people, when you understand the design process and the thought process and the way that something feels in your hand or the way that you sit on it, you know, it, it's all of these little things and restaurants are ex- an extension of that. It's an experience. So um, where I choose to spend my money, if it's on good design, it's because I really enjoy holding that mug every morning when I have my coffee or you know like it's it's the way that something feels you know like a cashmere scarf or as opposed to you know man-made um man-made material you know there's there's and people have different levels of what they um regard as important um and to me it's like the love and craftsmanship that goes into anything that I purchase or enjoy or sell, um, I think that those are stories that are really important. So how can you communicate that to diners? Because I think uh, so many people in restaurants find it so hard to raise prices, even if it's just, you know, 20 cents on the price of a coffee because they feel that their customers will be looking straight away to the cafe next door. Like how do you sort of break out of that, that mindset? Um, yeah, it is It is hard and it's going to be really tough through this because um, obviously we're looking at looking at a um, depression. Uh, so a lot of people have been affected um, financially. Um, but I think if we get smarter on where we spend our money and from 
my perspective, rest the difference between restaurants and say takeaway, for example, um, is the experience, and that's what we can offer um, that sets apart. Like that's what makes a restaurant an experience, as opposed to just eating food. You can eat a carrot while you're driving and get sated from it, but that's that's not really anything that's very memorable. Whereas you know, restaurants you have wedding anniversaries and birthdays and first dates and second dates and breakups and you know the whole gamut of the human experience um is within the four walls of these restaurants so you know you have wines that you remember and you know the first time you know friends of ours their little boy who's eight had his first oyster at our restaurant so that mum and dad is going to remember that because their eight-year-old boy loved the, that oyster, you know. So hopefully, <laughs> you know, it just it, it, it cultivates relationships and experiences with food and what we eat and, you know, it's just hoping that restaurants are a combination of what our farmers do and what our chefs do and what front of house do and it's just when it all works, it's just this really beautiful thing that I hope that people having not had that for eight weeks or ten weeks or however, gosh, however long, um, will really be yearning for? Yeah, oh, definitely. I think people are so looking forward to restaurants being a normal part of life again. But as you say, there is going to be less money sort of washing through the economy and many people will be watching you know, watching what they're spending money on. You talk about the deli as a, as a new income stream. Are, are there other ways that you're trying to make sure that you do get that cost per diner or uh, allow find other ways for people to spend money with your business? Yeah, well, we are hoping that there is um, more talk within the government sector, especially around fringe benefits tax in particular. Um, there has been talk of you know removing GST off all food, and but I can't, I can't really see. I think the the best tact we've got is the fringe benefits tax, and then so we've st- um, we're also offering our private dining rooms as um, sort of satellite boardrooms for people, whether they want food or they just need more space because. They don't have it within their office or they can't access it. There's a lot of shared offices around Surrey Hills and if they've got a safe environment where they can have, whether it is just tea and coffee and they can use our space because that is something that we've got. It's a rather large restaurant. Um, <laughs> so, so hopefully if, we, if we're still restricted on numbers by the time we open on 1st of September, if we can utilise the space for other people's businesses, um, then we're looking at what we can do, what we can do in, in that realm. Okay. And you, you guys have uh, long been very savvy with the way you use technology and I suppose, you know, streamlining your business is another way to, uh, you know, k- keep more money in it. Um, can you talk about the ways that you've used tech and, and whether there are some new things that you want to try? Yeah. Um, we've, uh, I guess I, I've been interested in how I can still run my business without being there and that sort of came from having children um and whilst I didn't have the um luxury of maternity leave or anything like that I did have the luxury of choosing when I would work which was around a around a very um 
Upset baby. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> um, so we implemented some certain um, uh, technologies that have really transformed our business. And, you know, even throughout this pandemic and me being based in Melbourne with my team in Sydney, you know, it's been life-saving, you know. Um, Slack in particular is a, is a system that we use that I just advocate for every business and I think that um, any, anyone with sort of 20 or more employees should be using, utilising these sort of technologies to ensure that their business runs as efficiently as possible but also as cost effectively as possible because if as long as my team are communicating you save so much time and money and headaches and issues purely because communication is key really what are some examples of how you you slap yeah so well i'm in i'm in melbourne um my reservationist uh, who was with me in sydney for five years she moved up to um the gold coast for um family reasons and i didn't want to lose her because she's wonderful at what she does um and really gets where we are as a business and what we're trying to do um so having her in it no one would know that she is not you know physically in the restaurant she knows the table plan like the back of her hand she knows she puts all the events packs and everything together now um and then through slack i see every reservation request that comes through for group bookings i see every um, dietary request that comes through um, allergies um i'm aware how many people we've got on what banquets that night you know every minutiae of <laughs> of a service I can see without being there or needing to be engaged with it I don't need to check in on everyone so there's a lot there's that micromanaging is like while everyone is aware that I can see it I don't need to prod or poke or remind or you know we've got alcohol cleaning schedule for example is all um, automated through slack so the person who is in charge of that department or cleaning the bins or whatever it is um, gets a notification that that's what's got to be done that day um, and then there are processes where um, through something called process street that I get notified that it's all been done and ticked off and so it's just little things like that which are the sort of the bane of every business owner's existence that just trying to streamline through technology um, has really helped and I think it will help further when we can reopen. Mm. I think a lot of restaurants have started using new technologies during the pandemic, whether it's, you know, a, a takeaway ordering or, or, and payment gateway. I think as people reopen, they're also using a lot of online menu um, applications. Are there things that you could see or that you're wondering that you might be able to add to the businesses when you open slash reopen? Yeah, I'm really hesitant on this virtual menu thing. Okay. <laughs> Why? Oh, because I like I like the tactility of, of of a physical menu and especially a wine list. I don't I, I, I haven't seen it yet, and I I really look forward to seeing how other people are um, tackling this issue of how you uh, how you do it with 
technology's sort of always been within a restaurant space. You know, if somebody's using an iPad to take your order or something like that, it's sort of been a barrier in between the diner and the um, and the waiter. Um, so I think that that's going to change definitely and there will be new technologies that come out and menus will be able to be digital. I don't think that'll be... Um, an issue you know I've sort of been open to food menus being sent to people um, is part of their booking confirmation for example but it's just how do you get that wine list across um, to people so there's still a lot of unknowns I think on how it's going to going to work and you just don't have the time um, or I guess the implementation time to really you kind of got to be on the fly a little bit with it. Yeah, and just see what feels right. I think some people have talked about shorter wine lists are going to be the thing because it's, yeah, it's just simply because where do you print them? And, yeah, you don't want to scroll endlessly through your phone looking at a wine list. No, yeah. So, you know, there, there will be positives that come out of, come out of you know, there are definitely positives and negatives with having a shorter wine list. Um, but, you know, the, the, this industry is so dynamic and it's been so heartening to see how, people have adjusted to the challenges. Um, so, you know, I'm really looking forward to getting back up, back amongst it, really. Well, yeah, we're really looking forward to you being back amongst it. Um, do you, before we, let's, yeah, I'll let, I'll let you go in a minute, but I just do love chatting. So it's great to, yeah, great to get your perspective great to get your perspectives. I think diners, you know, and I'm a diner, I'm not a restaurateur. I think diners have learned a lot about restaurants during all this and we've missed them so much uh, and we want them to succeed. Uh, do you feel like there's a new awareness or willingness from diners uh, to meet restaurants more than halfway? Yeah, I think I think that will be a, a big change that happens. I think you won't start. I know we've had, you know, no-show stories come up since restaurants have been able to open um, and you've had a lot of resistance in the past to things like um, prepaying or minimum spend. Um, uh, but I think regular diners and as people evolve it to become regular diners, as whether they get older or... Um, more wiser about the restaurant experiences that they do want to have. Um, they'll be a lot more open to the fact that their businesses that employ a huge number number of people, including their children or their cousins or their, you know, brothers and sisters, um, whether while it is at uni or whether it does become a career for these guys, um, and they'll start to understand how far-reaching it is if these restaurants don't have a, a model that they can survive through and thrive you know I think profit seems to be a dirty word in a lot of businesses and yet that's at the end of the day restaurants are there to have a healthy bottom line so they can employ people and people can um, progress through their career through these businesses you know I, I love that my staff see our business as a career for them um that is so satisfying yeah that must be fantastic and you know who i keep thinking about is that boy the eight-year-old who ate the oyster and i I feel like he's gonna be such a great diner and you know whether maybe he's gonna work in restaurants maybe he's just gonna be that person that you see on the booking sheet and you're just always glad to see that name because you know he's gonna (laughs) Eat all the oysters. (laughs) (laughs) 
These are the people who we do it for, you know, people who really appreciate and love and love food. You know, my four-year-old comes down after his bath every night and asks me what he can pick from the garden to help dinner. So that's been a nice, you know, that's that's a nice side of me being home cooking every night for the, for the family. So, you know, it's just fostering that connection with food and and what we eat and appreciate whether we can cook it at home, you know, um, I can cook, thank God, um, you know, but if it's just teaching people that they that what they eat three times a day or twice a day or um, is, is beautiful and it's something to be celebrated and if you can do it in a restaurant with the people that you love or business deals that you are really banking on, um, I think that we're all going to be better for it if we appreciate the whole process a whole lot more. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is...